Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. All right, so like I said, the, the, uh, in chapter 1, we ended on a very high note, right? If, if you remember, Paul lists all of the blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus in chapter 1. And, and when we preach through it, we kind of uh, summarized it by asking the question, what is a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? And so the answer to that question was, well, a Christian, according to chapter 1 of Ephesians, is someone who has been chosen by God before the foundation of the world. A Christian is someone who has been predestined for adoption to God as son, someone who is a child of God. A Christian is someone who has been redeemed through the blood of Jesus, someone whose sins have been forgiven. A Christian is someone that God has revealed his will to them. A Christian is someone who has obtained an inheritance in Christ. A Christian is someone that after they heard the word of truth, the gospel of their salvation, when they believed it, they received the Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee of our inheritance. So that is a Christian. I also like that Jordan, when he preached on, on, chap, on verses 11 through 14, he followed that question of what is a Christian by asking more directly, are you a Christian? Right? And we talked about the assurance that we have of our salvation because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our assurance. The Holy Spirit is the seal of, us, our, of our salvation. He is the guarantee of our salvation. And then a couple of weeks ago, we joined Paul in this prayer of thanking God and of asking him to reveal to us what is the hope of our calling. We uh, prayed and asked God to reveal to us what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Remember that we talked about how we are God's inheritance. We belong to him. He rejoices over us with singing. And then we talked about the power of God. And we talked about how the power of God that is at work in us, his power that is working toward us, is the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead, to uh, uh, to raise to to seat it to seat him at his right hand, and to set him as ruler over all things. And so, the question that I want to ask today, just kind of to follow with that idea of what is a Christian? Are you a Christian? We're praising God for for his knowledge and we're asking him to reveal his knowledge to us. And the question that I want to ask today is, what does it mean to be saved? What is salvation, right? Paul tells the Ephesians, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, what does it mean to be saved? What do we mean when we say, I was saved or God saved me, right? So a lot of the times when we are sharing our testimony, we say, well, you know, I was saved when I was 14 or, or you know, God saved me when I was uh, 17. Or, or we often ask the question, well, is he saved? Is she saved? Are you saved? Why do we, what, what do we mean by saved? What does save mean? And I believe that uh, Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 10 give us a very, uh, a very vivid image of what it means to be saved. And in summary, to be saved means that we were brought from death to life. 
To be saved means that we were completely dead, completely helpless, completely powerless, walking in our sins and our trespasses. And God, by His love, by His grace, by His mercy, He saved us. He united us with Christ. And just as He raised Jesus from the dead, He raised us with Christ. And just as He seated Jesus in the heavenly places, He seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. So let's let's dig into this summary or into this explanation of God's salvation for us. But before we get to the to the new heights of the gospel, before we get to the amazing part of the gospel, we need to be brought low. We need to be reminded where we came from. And so Paul begins by saying, "And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked." There's no other way to put it. I mean, he, he puts it really stark, right? It, you, you're probably like, oh, yes, Jesus is the head of the church. And, and he is the one who fills all in all. And we are his body. And then Paul is like, but you were dead. Like, oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, I was dead. I, I was powerless. I was hopeless. I had no way of belonging to God's new creation, to God's new humanity i was dead in our in my sins in my trespasses when adam and eve sinned when adam and eve ate of the of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil god wasn't kidding when he said that they would die if they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil even though they didn't physically die on the spot they died spiritually and from that moment on anyone who is a descendant of adam and eve is born dead in their sins and trespasses. There is nothing that we can do to be alive, to gain our salvation. We are dead and all we can do is sin. All we can do is go against God. And therefore, because we were dead in our sins and trespasses, then it means that we walked in those sins and trespasses. That's all we could do. We couldn't help but walk in our sins and trespasses. And so there were three things that we were um, following. There were three things that we were captive to. There were three things that we were, uh, um, or that held power over us. And these three things are the world, Satan, and our flesh. And Paul lists these things here, saying in verse 2, we walked in our sins and trespasses following the course of this world. This world, the system of this world is opposed to God. This world is in opposition to God. This world is, as if you remember seeing in the book of Revelation, the system of this world is opposed to God. It's trying to destroy God. It's trying to rebel or is rebellion, in rebellion against God. And before God saved us, we were a part of this system. We were walking just with everyone else. Right? Did, you, did your parents or your Sunday school teacher or someone ever told you this, the, the analogy of the, uh, of, of the salmon? Right? Like all Christians, uh, or, or sorry, the world, everyone is swimming with the current. Right? Uh, every fish is swimming with the current. But the salmon is the only one that swims against the current. And so at least, I don't know, my parents, my, my, my Sunday school teachers would tell me, well, you have to be like the salmon. You have to swim against the current, right? 
I don't know. It sounds like you guys, by your faces, I'm seeing that maybe this is a Mexican analogy. But, uh, right, which is interesting because you guys should know all about salmon. But anyway, uh, <laughs> salmon is not even native to Mexico. But anyway, um, <laughs> the point is, before God saved us, we were all going with the current. We were all going in the same direction of the world. We were captive by this world that is opposed to God. We were also captive by Satan. We were following, we were walking according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We were under the dominion of darkness. We were under the dominion of Satan. Remember what Jesus tells the Pharisees? He tells them, you belong to your father, the devil. That was a very strong statement, right? Because they thought that they were sons of God. They thought that they belonged to God. I've heard it so many times that people tell me, well, everyone is a son of God. Everyone is a child of God. That is not true. Before God saved us in his mercy, we were children of Satan. Before God saved us in his mercy, we were enslaved. We were under the power, under the dominion of Satan. And then notice what Paul does here in verse 3. He is doing something that, that he already he has already done in this letter. He says, among whom we all once lived. He is changing the pronoun here. Right? In chapter 1, he starts by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. Right? The, the first person plural. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. In him, we have redemption. First person plural. All of these things is we, we, we. And I think that part of what he's doing is he is about to shock some people when he gets to verse 13, when he says, in him, you, second person plural, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, right? And so I'm guessing that the Ephesians, when they were reading the letter and Paul was saying, we, we have been chosen before the foundation of the world. We have been redeemed. They were like, yes, yes, absolutely. We were. And then Paul says, and then you also, and the Ephesians are like, wait a second. You, you were not talking about me on the first place? And I think that that is what Paul is doing. I mean, ultimately, he is talking about them as well, but he is really nailing down the point that it wasn't always the case. He is nailing down the point that the 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 Gentile Ephesians, they didn't always belong to God. They didn't, they, they, they weren't always the, the, ben, the, the ones benefiting from these blessings. And so here in chapter 2, verse 3, I think Paul is doing something similar, but in reverse. He is saying, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So he's talking in the second person. Right, And so I imagine that maybe if there were some Jews in the audience, they would be like, oh yeah, the, you know, these Ephesians, they were dead in their trespasses. They walked according to, to all of these things. And then Paul says, among whom we all. And so he, is, he isn't leaving any room for anyone to say, oh no, that's, that, that wasn't me. I've always been a good person. I've always belonged to the family of God. I was born in a Christian family. 
Paul is saying every single human being was, and, and a lot of them still are, among the sons of disobedience. Every single one of us used to be a child of wrath, as he says in chapter, in verse 3. There is none of us here that could say, oh, I didn't need God to save me. Or, you know, I've always been saved. I grew up in a Christian family. I, I, I wasn't that bad of a person. There is not a single one of us that gets to say, I did not need God's grace to be saved. All of us have to join with Paul and say, we all once lived among the children of wrath. Even our children, even our little kids. This is crazy to think, right? But even our little kids, we have little sinners at home. We have little enemies of God at home. And our job as parents is to proclaim the gospel to them. Our job as parents is to, rem to, to teach them the grace of God. Our job as parents is to pray for them so that God in his infinite mercy would save them. Because every single one of us, apart from Christ, is an enemy of God. And so we talked about we, we were uh, enslaved and we were captive by the world. We were, we were captive by Satan. And here in verse 3, we also see how we were captive by our own flesh, our own nature. He says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We were captive to our flesh. Our It, you know, the other two things, the world and Satan, are outside sources, right? And, and so maybe someone would say, well, you know, it's, it's just all about my circumstances. If, if Satan and the world were not in the picture, I would be a good person. And Paul says, no, your flesh, you were captive to your flesh. You are sinful by nature. And you were captive to your flesh, to the passions of your flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body, the flesh is the same word, the, the flesh and the mind. I think it's interesting that he uses both the flesh and the mind, right? Because there are some people that tend to think, well, you know, it's only the flesh that is evil, but the mind is good. You know, the spiritual is good. But Paul here is saying, no, all of your being, your flesh and your mind were against God. Paul in Colossians, which is a letter very, very similar to the Ephesians, um, says that we were hostile in mind against God. Our minds were hostile against God. It's not just that, you know, our, our flesh, we couldn't help it, but just our flesh is evil. But even our minds, even in our thoughts, all the thoughts that we had were hostile against God. And so I think he summarizes the whole thing by saying, We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We were children of wrath. All we deserved was God's wrath. We were lost. We were dead. There was no hope for us. There it is for us, this really incredibly low moment. And I think all of us need to be reminded of this. Again, I want to say it again. None of us should be able to... Or, None of us can't say that we didn't need God's salvation, that we were good enough. No, all of us should look at this passage and say, yes, that was me. And if you can't look at this passage and say, yes, that was me, then maybe 
that absolutely is you right now. And you need God's salvation because you are still enslaved to the world, to Satan, and to your own flesh. But now in, in, in verse 4, we get one of the most beautiful and amazing phrases. This is a very small phrase, but one of the most incredible and amazing phrases in the Bible, which is these two words, but God. But God. That is incredible. That is incredibly good news, right? We're going down. It seems like Paul is just bringing us downward and things are just getting really, really bad. But then there's something amazing that comes and he says, but God. And then before he can even say anything else about what God has done, he just describes God. He says, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And I want to take a minute and just think about God's character. Paul described God, describes God as rich in mercy. Paul describes God as the one who, uh, because of his great love with which he loves us. When I was reading this, I was reminded of Jonah. Remember how Jonah in chapter 4, after God forgives the people of Nineveh, Jonah is angry with God. And he is, he is rebuking God. And why does he rebuke God? For, or, or what does he rebuke God for? He rebukes him for being merciful. He says, I knew it. This is why I didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place. Because I knew that you were so merciful, God, that if I went and preached the gospel to these people, they would repent and you would forgive them. And I did not want that because they are my enemies. In fact, I, I wanted to read that, uh, just that section of, of Jonah. I mean, it's comical to us, but, but just look at God's character. Jonah 4 verse 1 says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Even though this description of God is made in the midst of a complaint against God, just think about this beautiful description. God is gracious. He is merciful. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Do you struggle to believe this? Do you feel the burden of, of your own sinfulness, which I think is, is right, right? We should feel the, the, the burden of our sin. We should feel wrong about our sin. But do you feel like maybe God just cannot accept you or cannot forgive you? Think again. Think about God's character. He is described as being rich in mercy. Paul is saying that he saved us because of the great love with which he loved us. 
Paul has also said that he has predestined us for adoption as his children. Paul also said that we are his inheritance. Think about those things. And think about how much God loves you. Think about how gracious and merciful God is. And worship Him for that, but also delight in that. Take courage in that. Take your assurance in that. Think about the fact that God wanted to save you. Not because of anything good that you did, not because of any merit of your own, but because of His mercy and His loving kindness. And so if you are struggling with with maybe an assurance of salvation, if you are struggling with guilt, if you are struggling with feeling God's love toward you, maybe go back to Jonah and think, wow, he loved the Ninevites like that. And I was one of them. I was one of the Ninevites. I was dead in in my trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. And then notice this, verse 5, even when we were dead. This is amazing because it says that God saved us when we were dead. God didn't wait for us to, to somehow gather up our own strength and come to life and then he would save us. No, that would be impossible, right? When we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And look at the contrast. We were dead. He made us alive together with Christ. Notice how in the, in the next verses, verses 5 and 6, all of these things are possible through our union with Christ. A Christian is someone who is united to Christ. A Christian is someone who is uh, inseparably united to Christ. And our salvation is possible because of the work of Jesus. Our salvation is possible because with the same power that, that God raised Jesus from the dead, it's the same power that God used to raise us from our spiritual death. He raised us, he, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And we're going to talk about that in a second. And he raised us up with him. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead, we were spiritually raised from the dead and we will be physically raised from the dead in the last day. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Notice the contrast again. We were influenced by the world. We were children of wrath. We were in the world. We were in the dominion of darkness. I like how Paul puts it in Colossians. He transferred us from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. He brought us from the, the world, from, the, from this system that is in enmity against him. And with Christ, just as Christ is seated at the right hand of God, he brought us and he seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. Now, of course, this is spiritual right now. We are not physically there yet. And, and in fact, he says in verse 7, he, he talks about how this is future. He says, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. 
But even though physically we might not be there yet with Christ, it is a reality that spiritually we are already in the heavenly places. We already belong to a different realm. We already belong to the kingdom of heaven. And because we have life with Christ, it means that we are no longer powerless. We are no longer captives to, to the world. We are no longer captives of Satan. We are no longer captives to our flesh. Because we have a new life in Christ, it means that now we have the power. We have the, 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 the capacity because of the Holy Spirit that is in us. We have the capacity to live a new life in Christ. A life of obedience, not a life of sin. A life of good works. And we're, we're going to get to that. In fact, let's just get to that. In verse 8, he says, For by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Paul is summarizing the whole idea here and saying, it is by grace that you have been saved. Grace is God's, God's kindness, God's love, God's favor. Grace is what God does. It's not, it's not what we do. We are not capable of saving ourselves. We're not capable of doing anything to make God think and say, oh, you know, he's kind of a good person or she's really nice, so I'm going to save her. No. Being saved by grace means that there is nothing that we could do to save ourselves or to gain any favor with God. It was all by his grace through faith. We did have faith in God, right? By his mercy, he gave us the gift of faith and we trusted in him. We believed in him. But notice, he has two negatives here. He says, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And again, I think it's, it's, you know, it's nailing the same point. You cannot save yourself. There is nothing you can do to save yourself. This is, an, this is absolutely a gift from God. It is something free. It is something that you don't have to pay for. It is something that he gifts us. And then the second negative is, not a result of works so that no one may boast. It is impossible to perform enough good works to save ourselves. It is impossible to, to obey the law of God good enough so that God would be impressed and say, okay, yes, I'm going to save him. No. No, it is impossible for us to be saved by our works. And I like how it says here, so that no one may boast. The grace of God, the mercy of God, on the one hand, it, it should, you know, it should encourage us. It should, it should give us assurance of his love for us, but it should also humble us, right? We should look at God's grace and say, wow, I had nothing to offer to God. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I was walking in my sins. I was walking in disobedience. I was an enemy of God. And God is the one who saved me. And therefore, there's nothing I can boast about. Christians should be the most humble people of all. 
Christians should be the most uh, thankful people of all. I usually don't even like to mention this word. In fact, this is probably the first time I'm going to mention it from the pulpit uh, here at Kaleo, but Calvinists, right? Calvinists are those who, who would definitely affirm all of these doctrines here. But one thing that I found very interesting is that sometimes, not always, but sometimes when someone becomes a Calvinist, you have to lock them up for two years because they become so proud <laughs> because they become like, oh, look at me. I understand the doctrines of grace so much better than everyone else. No, you don't. The point is that all of this is so that no one can boast. A true Calvinist is someone who is humble. Someone who recognizes and acknowledges that it was all by God's grace. And so the result of this in verse 10 is that we are God's workmanship. We are God's new creation. We are God's, uh, we are created in Christ Jesus. This is a new creation he's talking about. We are new people. We are God's new people. We are created in Christ Jesus. We are a work of art. We are God's work of art. And the purpose or our purpose is so that we would do good works. This is, this is amazing, right? Because he's saying we are not saved by our works, but we are saved to do good works. And then notice how he finishes by saying, uh, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And notice again the contrast. In verse 2, it says that we walked in our sins and trespasses. We walked in those things. But now that we are God's new creation, now that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, he prepared these good works so that we would walk in them. And so now we have the power, we have the capacity of doing good works. If we truly have been saved, we will do good works. James puts it together a little bit too close together in, enough to confuse us, right? When he says that if you don't have works, your faith is dead. Why? Because someone who has truly had faith in Jesus, someone who has truly been saved by the grace of God is someone who will do good works. Is someone who will love his or her neighbor. Is someone who will love their church. Is someone who will care for the needy. Is someone who will care for, uh, uh, for the innocent. Is someone who will fight against abortion. But it's also someone who will fight against injustice. Because we are saved. Because we belong to him. And we are a new creation. And God created us for good works. So that we should walk in them. So I want to finish by... pointing out that many of us, I, I pray most of us here can say with Paul, yes, we definitely were dead in our sins and trespasses. We, this is who we were, but we are no longer dead. We are alive in Christ. We have been saved. 
But I want to remind all of us that there are a lot of people out there who are still dead in their sins and trespasses. There are still a lot of people out there who are walking according to the course of this world, who are walking according to the power of the prince of the earth, who are children of disobedience, who are children of wrath. There are so many people out there in Aberdeen, in, in, in Montesano, in, in all of Grace Harbor, in Washington, all over the world. There are so many people out there that are still children of wrath. People who are still dead. And God, in His mercy, has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He has given us the commission of going and making disciples, of preaching the gospel to them, of bringing the good news of salvation to them. And so we could either be like Jonah and say, no, I'm, I'm really good here with my people. I'm happy that God chose me and I'm not going to do anything about these other people. Or we could do what Jonah should have done in the first place, place and obey God's calling and say, I am going to go to Nineveh. I am going to go to Aberdeen. I am going to go to the world and I am going to proclaim the gospel of salvation so that more people can obtain this salvation. So that more people can be brought into God's family. So that more people can, be, can become God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. 